Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, September 25th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Y-Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. So Jacob and Chris are still out at Fantastic Fest. They will return on the podcast probably next week at this point. Uh, it seems like Jacob may have come down with the Fantastic Flu. So we we wish him well. Uh, but let's dive into it and let's talk about what we've been doing. Uh, I Well, this past week I got the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Did anybody else here upgrade their iPhone this past week? Am I the only one? It seems I think like... you are. I, I really want the iPhone 11 Pro. Um, why did you decide to go with the Max, though? Oh, I've had the Max for the last like couple, and uh, I just appreciate the the extra screen room and everything. Uh, the Pro, I think, is the way to go because you have that extra camera. Um, and by the way, the the cameras on this iPhone are like next level. It's like incredible. Like I, I it has a like a um, a wide angle lens which like 
looks so good. And uh, they have this new functionality. I'm not sure if any of you watched this keynote or whatever. They have this new functionality called night mode, which when it's like dark or at night, you can put this mode on. And it's basically like a long exposure. So it's not like something you can do where like tons of people are moving around. But if you're taking a portrait of someone at night or something and you say, you know, hold still for a second. Uh, you can get that, and it looks incredible. Like usually, the downfall of i like phone uh, photo, photos on phones for me is like low light, and with this night mode, it's like really incredible. It's so incredible that uh, one of my friends actually pointed his phone up at the night sky and took a night mode photo. And in LA, you can't even see the stars, but you could see a whole sky of stars with the night, night mode photo, uh, which is just kind of great. Um, I is do want to something that happens automatically, Peter, the night mode thing, or do you have to like, you know, switch it to a, a specific setting or something? I think it recommends on? it. Like it pops up and kind of recommends it if, if you're going to do it, but you have to switch it on. Yeah. So, mm. so you can actually, I've been running around taking photos at night of like, with night mode on and night mode off just to see like the differences. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really doesn't do much if there's like good lighting around, but like in like, you'd be shocked at how, like I took a photo of uh, my dog and the lights were out and it was that night. And like, like basically you could not see anything in the room and you could see, it looked like the dog was in like daylight. It, it was crazy. <laughs> All right, one more quick question. Does it work on video as well, or is it just no, photos? No, it's <sighs> sadly only photos because it's like a long exposure thing. If you, if you understand like photography, like it's taking photos for like a it's opening its iris for a longer period of time or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but the night video is actually pretty good too. It, it or it's, it's better than it has been, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this. I got the uh, Midnight Green, I think it's called, and it doesn't look green at all. It, like, I don't know. I, I'm a little disappointed. I'm a big fan of green. I wish it was more green. Uh, th- some other things I wanted to uh, briefly bring up. Uh, am I the like, the, the new iOS introduced dark mode, which is awesome, and it also introduced um, the ability to do a swipe keyboard. Does, am I the only one that sucks at the swipe keyboard thing? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where like you? Yeah, I've, I've never felt compelled to try it because I just feel like I wouldn't be able to do it. Like some of my friends are like so good at it and like so fast that like I I I, I tried it and for like a day and I, I gave up on it. But <laughs> well, um... you've always been an Apple guy though, right? Peter? Yeah. And I think I, I used to have an Android phone. I don't know, maybe ten years ago or something, and they had like the that swipe functionality on that and so maybe your friends are good at it because they came from the yeah, android right. world or something did you use it when you were an android guy uh not really i mean i i always just um i used it occasionally but most of the time it was just like uh i just you know defaulted to the normal texting style hmm. yeah i i feel like i want to use it because i see how how powerful it can be because some of my friends are like so much faster typers than I am, you know, pecking away with their swipe keyboard. But like, 
if you have a tip on how how am I doing this wrong, send it to Peter at Uh Okay, I have a bunch of other stuff to talk about. What have I been doing this week? I went to Oogie Boogie Bash, which I briefly mentioned on last week's Water Cooler, which is this Halloween party at Disneyland Resort at Disney California Adventure. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I did mention I, I, I saw a character from Kingdom Hearts. I saw the Donald. Uh, or Did I see Donald? Or did you see? I thought you no, saw, I saw Goofy. Goofy. I saw Goofy. There was Donald and Goofy from Kingdom Hearts, and I saw Goofy. Yeah, I sent Goofy in his cargo pants. Yeah, it's it's weird. It, he had the longest line of the night, HG. Like there was, <laughs> it was like over an hour long. It was insane. One of one of these days, Kingdom Hearts is going to be properly in like Disney World and Disneyland, and that's when I will go. Yeah, they should make a Kingdom Hearts ride. That would be crazy. That would be so amazing. There's a whole mini game in the in the game with the gummy ship in which you travel between worlds. They could just make that into the ride. That's they're so easy. Yeah. Um. Well, Oogie Boogie Bash is, is like the thing where you go and there's like trick-or-treat trails so you can get tons of candy. We, we came home with so much candy. And this year, the one thing that they were doing different is they had characters on the trick-or-treat trails. Because usually at these events, the longest lines are for like these unique characters that are not normally in the parks all year long. And the cool thing was while you were going through these trick-or-treat trails, you could actually kind of like walk by and interact with the characters. I have a whole video for this. I'll link it in the show notes. It, it was a fun night. And, uh, yeah, got to hang out with uh, Tim Tracker and Jen Tracker, uh, two friends who were in town, and it was uh, it was so awesome to hang out with them for a little bit at that event. I uh, also, with Kitra, we covered Not Scary Farm, which is kind of Not's version of uh, the Halloween Horror Nights. Like, it's like these haunted mazes. Not's is, um, they don't have as much money as Universal. They uh, and but what they lack for in budget, they bring in creativity and uh, they they only create like one or two new mazes a year, and then they have the best of the previous years uh, returning in a updated fashion. Um, but I I had a lot of fun. I actually think I probably had more fun at Not Scary Farm than I did at both of the Halloween Horror Nights um, events, even though it lacks the, you know, big franchise IP, you know, there's no Ghostbusters, no Stranger Things. Uh, my favorite maze, it's the last year of this maze, and it's uh, basically this zombie maze where you're given, like, this rifle, this, uh, like, laser tag rifle, and you're sent in, you're, like, with the military, and you're sent into, like, this uh, infected zone, and it basically you gotta kill those, shoot those zombies in the head. They come jumping out at you, and if you if you don't hit them in the head, they come closer. So uh, you're running through like there's like downed helicopters and smoke, and you're like going into subway tunnels, and it is so much fun. I would highly recommend checking out that video. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And lastly, um. A, a couple months back, I was in Vegas for that Magic Live event that I talked about on this podcast, and I recorded this video showing off uh, some of the best magic I saw at this event. And la- this past week, I got contacted contacted by one of my uh, one of the big upcoming magic creators. Actually, one one of my favorite new magic creators, and uh, he saw the video and he saw like his trick was featured in the video. And at Magic Live, they were like previewing this trick before it had gone on sale and actually they asked me to use my footage in their trailer for the trick so i'm gonna have my footage in a magic trailer which to me is kind of cool 
anyway that's awesome yeah yeah really cool and uh i was like do you guys want like the you know unedited call like i can dropbox you the unedited footage they're like no no we, we love the way you edited it we're gonna we're gonna use exactly how you you had it and i was like oh that's awesome okay so uh when that comes out i'll link that in the show notes of a future water cooler episode uh brad what have you been up to so I recently upgraded to Mojave because uh, I just realized that I hadn't done it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should do that because then I can get uh, dark mode on my MacBook Air and do some of the other cool things that Mojave allows you to do. <clears throat> However, what I wasn't aware of is that Mojave doesn't play nice with some older versions of Photoshop. And I've been using an old version of Photoshop for a while now because there's been no reason for me to upgrade to it because I'm not using Photoshop for crazy, complicated, professional things. I use it for very basic image editing that we used, you know, for our articles and stuff like that. So I was very upset to find that Mojave does not work at all with the version of Photoshop that I have. Uh, and granted, it's a very old version of Photoshop. It's CS5, but it's worked very well for me this entire time uh, because it worked well with High Sierra. But uh, it doesn't work at all in Mojave. There, there is a fix that is out there that has helped some people. But for whatever reason, when I tried this fix to be able to use my version of Photoshop on Mojave, it did not work at all. So now I have been forced to join the uh, subscription users of Photoshop. The so Adobe Creative not... Cloud or whatever it's called? Yeah, exactly. So now I, I'm paying $10 a month for access to uh, Photoshop, which I, at the end of the day, I guess is fine because it, it's less than what Photoshop costs uh, if you just want to buy it by yourself and you get all of the updates as they come along. Uh, but, you know, it's just another subscription that I have to pay for to keep up with if I want to keep using it for work. And I tried to use uh, some other uh, free online image editing programs that are very similar to Photoshop, pretty much carbon copies, uh, but they were kind of clunky and clumsy, and they just, the way that I needed to, uh, the way that I could use Photoshop, it kind of interrupted my workflow and just made it more difficult, and so I was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to spend the money and just get the Photoshop that is official. I know you already did this, but uh, I do want to recommend an app on Mac that I use called Pixelmator. It's not Pixelmator Pro. It's Pixelmator, and I think it's like 20 or 30 bucks or something to own it. And it does pretty much everything that Photoshop does. Maybe there's a little bit of a learning curve because you've been using Photoshop for so long. But uh, there's a great community out there, so you can, you can Google anything and find out how to do something that was easily done in Photoshop and whatever way it's done to Pixelmator. But I'm assuming at this point you're just going to pay the ten dollars a month yeah pretty much it's yeah. just it's just easier yeah 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 um okay uh ben what have you been up to this week uh this past weekend i flew to south carolina very briefly for a quick visit with some family it was my uh, wife's granddad's birthday he turned i think 94 um and so that was cool just to you know spend some time with the family i got to hang out with my little nieces who were like you know, two years old and under. Um, so that's, it's always nice to see them. And I get to hang out with 
my in-laws and my sister-in-law and uh, and just spend some good family time. I'm actually going on vacation to Hawaii uh, starting this Friday, and I'll be gone for like about a week. Um, and then immediately after that, I'm going to Kansas City for three days, but I'll be able to work and, and podcast normally during that time. But my wife has a, a business convention in Kansas City, and I've gone a couple times, um, mostly just for the barbecue. So I like hang out in the hotel while she's doing this convention, and then we go eat at like amazing barbecue places in Kansas City. So I'm excited to go back and do that. Like, what we I think we land at like 11 p.m. on a Saturday night, and then fly out at 11 a.m. on Sunday night from Hawaii, and then go straight to Kansas City. So it's gonna be a really quick turnaround, but. Uh, on the plane to South Carolina this past weekend, I watched a movie and had a very interesting experience with that. So I'll just I'll leave it there as a tease until we get to the what we've been watching section because uh, it was it was pretty wild. But we'll get there. Okay, HT, what have you been doing this week? This weekend, I went to the Brooklyn Book Festival, which is an annual book festival held in Brooklyn. I think it's actually the largest free literary festival in New York, which is exciting. And um, I got there about an hour and a half before the sort of um, stall shopping area was about to close. And uh, I kind of panicked once uh, I realized I only had about an hour left to browse the many stalls that were there. And I ended up buying about 10 books. <laughs> so, uh, but it was a really good purchase, I think. And I'm, I'm really excited to dive into them um, at some point in my future. I definitely have a problem of buying more books than I can read and uh, thought I had left that behind when I left most of my books um, <laughs> back in Virginia. But nope, it's going to continue. Which one are you looking forward to read, reading the most from the ones you bought, HT? Um, well, I stopped by the Catapult stall and I'm really excited about reading a book called um, American Genius, a Comedy. It sounds like a really interesting character drama about um, uh kind of uh i'm not really sure how to describe it it's just a, a a former historian who goes through various uh it's hard to explain anyways i'm really interested <laughs> in reading it it's uh written by lynn tillman and um i'm i'm excited about that one and i also bought a bunch of um used books there too because there's one stall that was uh selling used books for like two dollars a book which was very exciting for me nice Okay, see, I have two questions here. Yes. First of all, like, I know back in the day when I was, like, a DVD fanatic, like, when, when like, you know, I'd go to Hollywood Video and they would have, like, four or $5 DVDs. I would just buy crap just because it was a DVD movie that was 5 or $4. Like, is this stuff that, like, you had had on a list that you wanted to buy? Or is this, like, or are you taking chances at every turn here? I mean, I'm for sure taking chances, but uh, that's the fun of a book, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a couple that I, you know, I knew the titles of. I, there's the the novel of uh, of Sideways, the movie that was oh, yeah. the yeah the Oscar winning movie, and um, there was a Juno Diaz book that I really wanted to read as well. I think my mom actually owned it, but I never got to borrow it from her. And um, yeah, there's just a, a bunch of others that I was reading the summaries and piqued my interest. So I'm excited to get into them. If they're bad, they're bad. Then, you know, it was a waste of $2, but it's not terrible. I, I have read a bunch of bad Stephen King books because I've specifically bought them from used <laughs> bookstores. So like, that, that's like the one bad experiences I've had, but um, I usually I usually enjoy reading like 
a book that I bought for pretty cheap. And I generally tend to like reading on the page versus the screen. I just get a headache whenever I have to read on a screen and an iPad or a Kindle or any situation. So I just, this is the only way, I mean, I could get a library card, but I haven't done that yet. Yeah. yeah there's some good libraries in New York. Um, yeah. A couple. A couple. <laughs> and my second question is, I, I think uh, the other day on the water cool, or on, on a news episode, you mentioned that your friends are always mad at you because you're they you show up late to movies, and now we're learning that you show up late to the book fair. Like, why are you showing up late so much? Well, this one I had a prior engagement, so <laughs> I wasn't able to do an all day thing as I planned. But next year I'll definitely do it all day. I was actually recording another podcast at the time, so ah, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. good excuse. Uh, what have you been reading this week? I have been reading, this is actually a book that I bought before I went to the book festival. Um, this is a book called Miyazaki World by Susan Napier. And it's um, a book that I have been really enjoying so far. It kind of goes through all of Miyazaki's feature films as well as his works in TV and studies it for, and approaches it from like a more academic sense um, as well as from the cultural perspective and sort of uh, circumstances that Miyazaki grew up in in a World War II slash post World War II um, Japan Japanese upbringing, and it's so interesting to to read from this more academic perspective because I've just I've you know grown up with Miyazaki my entire life and I've really admired him, but I've always mostly known him from documentaries or or behind the scenes making up features. So reading from a more academic um, approach was is really fascinating for me and um learning about how his upbringing definitely uh for sure influenced a lot of his films and um his own outlooks on pacifism and the environment and how those are kind of all intertwined um and i was um i remember when i was speaking about spirited away and i was talking about how i wasn't able to articulate specifically the emotions that spirited away left me at, with as a child and as an adult now and I discovered upon reading this book that there is actually a Japanese term for something that, uh, for the kind of mood and feelings that Miyazaki films tend to evoke in general and like uh, are an undercurrent through even his happiest films. And it's this term called mono no aware, uh, which means the sadness of things. And it basically talks about the inherent um, sadness of just uh, everything in, because of how ephemeral um, thing life tends to be. And I found that to be a, a perfect sort of summation of why Miyazaki films appeal to me so much, because even though his films do come from a, uh, approach of being for children and being targeted for ch towards children, there is that, uh, sort of wistful, melancholic undertone that has always really appealed to me. So I'm really happy to be reading this book, and I'm about halfway through now. I've just finished the Totoro section, and um, I'm learning a lot. So this, that's Miyazaki World by Susan Napier. That's yeah. cool you mentioned that uh, that phrase, HT, because I've never heard that before. I've never heard anybody say it before, but I have come across that phrase before because The Midnight, the band that I love that I've seen a couple times and talked about on the podcast, mm -hmm. on their official website, uh, it, it says... There is a Japanese term, mono no aware. It means basically the sad beauty of seeing time pass, the aching awareness of impermanence. These are the days that we will return to one day in the future only in memories. And it's just sort of like uh, supposed to be representative of the type of quality that they're 
they're aiming for in their music. And so it's cool to hear uh, that you came across that term and that it can be applied to Miyazaki's work as well. For sure. Yeah. And speaking of Miyazaki, moving into what we've been watching, HT, you saw Abominable, which is kind of, it's at least judging by the trailer, it seems like it's a little bit Miyazaki inspired. Yeah. And there are definitely elements of uh, Miyazaki and and Ghibli films that um, pepper are peppered throughout this movie. So Abominable is a, a new DreamWorks film directed by Jill Colton, and it's about a young teenage girl living in Shanghai who discovers a Yeti um, hiding on top of a rooftop building. It's a, of her apartment building. And um, it's an escaped Yeti from this uh, research facility that had captured it from Mount Everest. And so she decides to go on a quest to return this Yeti back to its home on Mount Everest. And um, I was really anticipating this film after seeing the trailer. I didn't really have any expectations for it until I saw that trailer and was really blown away by the visuals and how beautiful and whimsical it looked. It felt to me like DreamWorks was moving in a direction that the How to Train Your Dragon franchise was signaling uh, it was sort of shifting towards that uh, prioritizing of storytelling and characters and really, really gorgeous visuals over some of the more um, tongue-in-cheek snark and bargain bin Pixar that they've been doing for the past you know, decade or so. Um, so I was really excited to see Abominable. And it's, it's you know, it's, I want to say it's better than fine. It's it has some really gorgeous uh, sequences that really elevate the movie for me. And um, I found myself uh, especially connecting with the Yeti, which um, I'm going to steal this from my friend. Uh, he said he, he described actually a Miyazaki character as friend shaped. And I think that best describes the abominable, uh, the Yeti at the center of, of this film it's just it's it's just so cute and adorable and it adopts a lot of the characteristics of dogs that i think the how to train your dragon uh, creators had borrowed from as well for their uh, designs of dragons and i could see a lot of the influences from the how to train your dragons um films in this film especially in its flying sequences of which there are a lot i was quite surprised considering this is about a snow abominable snowman but i really loved those sequences. I thought they were so imaginative and whimsical and really, really um, gorgeous. But uh, the story was definitely lacking. It, it was very overly simplistic and familiar to the point of feeling like a pastiche of better films. And there were some wacky like slaps, slapstick hijinks that I felt like they could have left out because there was already enough humor inherent in the sort of girl and her monster Yeti shenanigans. So I don't think they need a lot of those slapstick moments. So the story was definitely like the weakest part of this film. And um, at some points, this might be the cynic in me, but uh, if the, this is a film that's co-produced by a Chinese company. I think it's named Pearl Studio. And at, at several points, I wondered if, it was if this movie was an elaborate tourist uh, advertisement because <laughs> one of the characters like dreams is to travel across China and she has all these postcards from her dad which are really sweet um, memorabilia because of like her dad's like passing away uh, but when we go through the film and it, we go like visit these parts of the postcards uh, it felt a little bit like 
this is the part, these are the parts of China that you should visit. It just like felt a little yeah. bit too on the nose for me, especially because while these landscapes were really gorgeous, they didn't really have any bearing on the story. They just kind of felt like someplace beautiful to visit. Um, but uh, I really, I, I enjoyed it overall. And um, I wouldn't say it's, it, doesn't, it reaches the heights of the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. And it doesn't really, it wasn't really the movie that I, I, I wanted DreamWorks to be going in the direction of, but uh, it has enough whimsy, I think, that it makes it pretty enjoyable. Ben, you also saw this? I did, and um, I agree with a lot of what HG said, although I, I can't say that I really enjoyed myself because the dialogue in this movie is just so abysmal all the way through. The story is just, I mean, it's its overly familiar, as she said, but it's also just the the dialogue, man. It, it, it hampers this movie so much. Like, I, I walked out of it thinking I much would have much rather have just like bought the art of book because and and just like flipped through that and not had to listen to these characters talk to each other because it's it's so painful to hear them and I had a bunch of kids in the audience that I saw it and and they were like laughing all the way through at all the parts that that I was sort of rolling my eyes at so it's definitely like not a movie that's targeted directly to me and if you have young kids you know maybe they'll enjoy it um there was one part that you can see in the trailer where the characters encounter like a bunch of uh, massive blueberries and they like splash all over them. This one character gets blueberries caught in the back of his pants. So it looks like he has a blueberry butt and these kids lost their damn minds. They were like (laughs) scream laughing in the theater. Um, And I was, you know, that's a moment where I just would, would roll my eyes and be like, this is really stupid, but it was completely meant for them. So uh, I'm glad it worked for them on that level, but I just wish that this was, I know that the economics of this are not viable, but I wish that this was a silent movie because the facial expressions of the Yeti creature and the girl and all the characters, that does all the work that you need to tell this story. And the dialogue is just so forced and so painful to to listen to that I much would have much rather you know sat there and, and just been able to take in these wondrous visual uh, shots of this gorgeous scenery and all this stuff. Um, and not had to deal with that part of it. But um, I definitely agree, HC. It, it certainly feels like, uh, you know, China being like, hey, come visit us, um, because there are a lot of really, really gorgeous uh, vistas. And, um, you know, it did, you know, as somebody who likes traveling, it did make me, like, briefly consider, like, man, should I go to China? So it, it works on that level, for sure. Okay, so I, I made some bad choices <laughs> this week guys <laughs> i uh i went and saw rambo last blood uh really it's not even a movie i wanted to see but i was convinced uh by my friend jeff to go see it and it was a bunch of my friends were going out to eat beforehand so i was like okay i'll, I'll go do it i have amca list this is what amca list is for right so uh rambo last blood uh is the latest film in the rambo series sylvester stallone reprises its role and He's basically been living in his deceased father's horse ranch, which he manages with a with an old friend. And uh, that old friend's granddaughter, Gabriella, uh, she uh, her father left her at a young age and went to Mexico. And uh, she's curious about her father before going. She's supposed to go off to college and have, you know, an awesome life but she's curious about her father and Rambo is like you know don't go after your father he's a scumbag but of course she does and 
um, the movie is Rambo going to Mexico and trying to recover Gabriella. I guess I'm going to slightly spoil the movie Rambo Last Blood here. But basically, this whole movie is a setup. I I am going to spoil it. (laughs) This whole movie is a setup for uh, basically the game. She gets embroiled in this in this this gang in Mexico who basically ends up killing her. (laughs) And uh, Rambo wants revenge. So on his farm, uh, on the ranch, he has like he's built this like series of underground tunnels. And uh, he's rigged up these tunnels Home Alone style. I would actually say this movie is Taken meets Home Alone. And he's rigged up – like so this whole movie is building up to this point where Rambo goes back – goes to Mexico, kills one of the, the gangsters and leads them all, like this whole group, this whole gang to his ranch to basically, you know, kill them all. In a Home Alone style, uh, last twenty minutes of like a bloody and violent B movie, I will say that those last twenty minutes are a lot of fun. Uh, the rest of the movie, not so much. Uh, the movie has really huge leaps of logic that don't make any sense. I, I don't think I'd recommend this movie for anybody, but uh, maybe if 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 you're a fan of Rambo, maybe you know endure it to see the. The, the end 20 minutes, uh, which is kind of fun. Yeah, so so there's that. Uh, I, at home one night, uh, Kitra and I were bored, and we didn't know what to watch, and uh, I gave Kitra the remote, which was a bad idea, <laughs> it turns out. And she put on Murder Mystery on Netflix, because we, we've been hearing about Ryan Johnson's latest film, Knives Out, uh, which you know premiered recently, and uh, this is kind of a murder mystery in that this has nothing to do with Knives Out, though. It, it is the same kind of thing, though. It's a family in one location, and someone gets murdered, and a detective is trying to solve this this thing. But the, but at the same time, it stars you know Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston, and they ridiculously and some turn of events got invited on this yacht with this rich family which two they didn't know and that just happened to be the same night that this murder happened so they are suspected of this murder and uh it's bad it's very bad but while watching this i thought maybe ben could get something out of this because maybe this is playing on some tropes from this genre have you ever ben have you even been had any <laughs> urge to I think press you play. know the answer to this question already, Peter. No, I, I am not uh, interested in watching an Adam Sandler murder mystery made specifically for Netflix. No, that is not something that has ever, <laughs> has ever piqued my interest. Yeah, and also he has like this weird mustache that looks very weird. It makes him look very weird. Not that I'm going to judge anybody by their facial hair choices, but it it really totally seems like it's a movie mustache and not like something he would normally wear. Uh, yeah, but I would not recommend Murder Mystery on Netflix. Um, and lastly, this is actually probably the best choice. I No, this is the best choice out of the three. I ended up watching Super Size Me 2, Holy Chicken. This is now available on VOD. I rented it on iTunes. Uh, this is from Morgan Spurlock, who in 2004 came out with Super Size Me, which 
had him eating only McDonald's for 30 days and finding out what happened, which, yes, he gained weight and, you know, became unhealthy. Um, but, you know, it, it, in Morgan Sprock style, it's the premise of the movie is not really the movie. The premise of the movie is a way to examine that world in some way. So Super Size Me 2, Holy Chicken is about him deciding he wants to create a fast food restaurant and he decides to create a a chicken a chicken sandwich restaurant and the way he's getting around the whole idea of of um you know he made a whole movie about fast food is bad the way he's getting around the whole idea of he's of that conundrum is that he's basically he's he's trying to make a fast food restaurant that seems like it's healthy, even though it might not be. So he's been creating the first farm to table, uh, chicken restaurant. Um, and, uh, I, this whole thing is a ridiculous, uh, way of him exploring, uh, what the struggles are of chicken farmers and under big chicken, uh, which is something I didn't really know about. It's very, actually a kind of fascinating look at that whole, how those people get screwed by like companies like Tyson. And, um, also it, it's interesting to learn like how, you know, marketing works in a way, like in, in more ways that I, than I even knew that, um, how, there's like terms that can be used. They're called like health halos that you put on unhealthy stuff that makes it sound healthy. So like you can use words like natural or humanely raised. So he's farming these chickens and he wanted them to be known to be able to market this as free range chickens. And you, if you imagine free range chickens, you imagine like a grassy field and there's like chickens all like out in the open and there's a lot of air and room Turns out that the FDA, there's really like no like laws as what free range is, other than that the chickens need to have some availability to go outside at some point. So basically, uh, he showed what that meant, and what that really meant is like they're in this like th- this indoor area, but he basically left the back door of the indoor area open and has a fence of maybe like five feet where the chickens could go outside, and that meets the <laughs> that term uh so you can so i'm basically i guess learning that all these terms are bullshit <laughs> all these ter- uh you know uh I, I didn't even realize this but apparently you know the reason why we're eating crispy chicken sandwiches is because the word fried is bad and that that's the word that they're now using for fried uh and you learn about how they paint on the uh the grill marks and all all this stuff. It, it's actually kind of a, a fascinating look, and the 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 uh, there's a lot more to this that I'm not talking about. But the, the the end goal of this, he is he does create a chicken restaurant, which is kind of a parody of a fast food restaurant where he is not lying at all. So on every table, there like usually where there'd be like a standee that's like you know our chicken is uh, free range, and show you like a picture of that like chicken in the open field. It shows you the actual, you know, the packed in chickens inside the coop, uh, uncomfortably, <laughs> and you know all those things. And and uh, but it, it's kind of sad because people still 
lined up around the block and still bought and ate all the chickens and it sold out. And uh, anyways, uh, I, I would recommend seeing Super Size Me too. I don't think it is as good of a movie as the first Super Size Me, uh, but it does shed some light uh, into things. And uh, Kitra, after seeing this, said that she might become a vegetarian. So I, I wouldn't say it, it doesn't show any of like the really uh the really really bad stuff that you like see in PETA videos it's not like that but you do see some chickens die and stuff so uh you know there's that um but yeah so super size me too you can rent that now Brad what have you been watching I got around to seeing a few things uh I went out of my way to see the peanut butter falcon I'd heard good things about it and uh I've always appreciated Shia LaBeouf as an actor even though his uh, you know, public life got a little bit uh, weird and wild there for a little while. Uh, I feel like he's always been a good actor, and it seems like he's kind of got maybe his head back on his shoulders after, you know, doing some soul-searching and after making uh, that movie Honey Boy, too, which is a lot about his uh, own life growing up as a child actor and the struggles he had when he became an adult uh, from that trauma. And this movie is great. Uh, it's an indie. It played back at uh, South by Southwest Film Festival, um, I, I think uh, Jacob, when he talked about it, described it, that the plot kind of sounds like a, a fake movie you might hear about as a joke on 30 Rock, because uh, it follows Shia LaBeouf as this uh, basically a, a crab um, catcher down in the bayou in Louisiana who ends up on a, uh, going on a raft downriver trip with a 20-something man young man with down syndrome who has escaped from the nursing home that he's uh, been forced to live in by the state after being abandoned by his parents and they go on this kind of mark twain uh coming of age adventure because uh the kid with with down syndrome wants to go become a professional wrestler and uh learn from this school that is run by thomas hayden church uh as someone called the uh Oh crap! I forgot his name. Uh, it's not really important, but it's it's Thomas Hayden Church in this great role, and uh, the movie is just endlessly charming and really really funny. And Shia LaBeouf's fantastic in it. They uh, they have an actor who uh, actually has Down syndrome. His name is Zach Gostigan, and he is just delightful in this movie. He is so funny. He works so well with Shia LaBeouf. He just he just is this delightful presence and has. Uh, so much heart, and just <laughs> the delivery of some lines are just. I, I, I was laughing more than I laugh at some studio comedies, and it's it's not because you know they're making fun of him having Down syndrome or anything like that. It's just because of his personality, uh, and he's just he's he's great. Um, and so yeah, if you get a chance to see this movie, it should still be in theaters. Um, it, it's expanded wide uh, in the past couple weeks, and it's just uh, yeah, one of the. The most pleasing movies I have seen this year, I think. Okay, Brad, uh, what else have you been watching? I saw Britney Runs a Marathon again. I had already seen it at Sundance, but my girlfriend had wanted to see it. I uh, thought it looked good from the trailer, and I was interested in seeing it again. So that finally expanded wide around here as well. Uh, and it definitely holds up on a second viewing. I, I think what I appreciate most about this movie is that it's, it's not just a movie about being inspired to... Uh, lose weight and be a better person and all that because but it, it approaches those things from a more realistic perspective and that you know just because you suddenly you know feel better about your image doesn't necessarily mean that you are a better person there's still a lot of things that you have to struggle with you know with, with your own uh you know in your own head and that kind of thing and i think jillian bell is is 
great in this role. She shows real potential to uh, be, you know, a lead actress in the future. I, I hope this gets her more roles that aren't just her, uh, you know, throwing up jokes all the time because she, uh, while she's very funny in this, uh, she's um, does even better with the the dramatic stuff. And it's it's so the movie is inspiring. It's also very funny and it's uh, yeah, it's really good. So if you get a chance to see that as well, it's another indie that should be on your radar. Yeah, that movie was playing at the same time as I saw Rambo: Last Blood, and I made I made the wrong choice, Brad. You made a poor choice. <laughs> <laughs> what else have you been watching? Uh, I watched Between Two Ferns, the movie, which is now available on Netflix. Uh, I don't think anybody ever thought that Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis was something that needed a movie. Uh, thankfully, uh, we were we were all wrong for, for thinking that. Uh, don't get me wrong; this movie has a a paper thin plot. That basically connects a series of uh, Zach Galifianakis interviews with famous people, just like the web series on Funny or Die. But because this movie is directed by Scott Ackerman of Comedy Bang Bang fame, uh, even even the sequences that are outside the interviews are really funny because of the subtle absurdity of Zach Galifianakis and all of the people who help him uh, make this show. Will Ferrell is great as this kind of exaggerated version of himself and the Funny or Die empire. Uh, but obviously the interviews are the big thing here. Uh, Keanu Reeves, Brie Larson, Benedict Cumberbatch, John Hamm, Tiffany Haddish, Tessa Thompson. Uh, there's just tons of great, hilarious interviews and cameos here that uh, had me laughing so hard. Uh, it's just it's so funny to see how mean Zach Galifianakis gets with some of these questions. You know, as he's playing this you know fictional version of himself. Uh, and make sure you stick around for the outtakes. Because the outtakes are maybe even funnier than the interviews themselves. And the, the outtakes are funnier than some studio comedies that get released every year, too. And you, you kind of get some insight into how they pull off these interviews with celebrities, too. Because it seems like what happens is that Zach has these questions, but he hasn't told the celebrities what he's going to ask yet. So sometimes when they get asked, their immediate reaction is to just laugh because the, it seems like it's the first time they're hearing it. Uh, and it seems like it's the first time that Zach is saying it too, because sometimes he can't even get through the question without laughing and he has to stop. And he's just like, Oh my God, this is so mean. Um, but it's, it's so funny to see their genuine reactions to the stuff and just how, how deep he, cu- he cuts into some of these guys. Very cool. And it, where can people see that now? It's on Netflix. Netflix. Ben, what have you been watching? Okay, so picking up from my uh, airplane story from earlier, I watched Long Day's Journey Into Night, which is directed by, I think his name is B. Gan, is how you pronounce it. Um, So this movie I'd heard a lot of good things about, especially I'd heard that the last shot in the movie is a, a really long, unbroken single take that lasted what I thought I remember hearing was 45 minutes, but what actually turned out to be 59 minutes or like almost right at an hour uh, of a single take in this movie. So that's really the only thing I knew about it. And I was like, oh, I'll just watch this on the plane as I'm flying out to South Carolina. So that was a huge mistake because this movie is very, very slow. It's this like languid sort of... um, like lethargic movie that's sort of like a detective story, but a lot of it takes place in darkness and that's not great for watching, you know, anything on a a terrible Delta screen in front of you. Like I I feel like I lost a lot of the image quality. Like I wasn't able to like literally see some things in the frame. Um, 
the movie is very very slow and it's also hallucinatory like it, it's it's like a uh, a dreamlike type of film and that does not really work very well on a screen that's like whatever nine inches across or something um there's one character that apparently plays multiple roles in the movie that I didn't even realize until afterwards and I looked it up and I was like oh I guess that's why a lot of the actual plot of this movie just didn't makes much sense to me and i i fully uh acknowledge the fact that i i i chose poorly this, this is a mistake that reflects bad on me not on the movie itself because i'm sure if i would have seen it under better circumstances i would have at least understood it um you know if not outright liked it but uh, i appreciate it on a technical level especially that final shot which is um you know, a, a, an incredible achievement. I think he shot it like seven times or something, seven takes to finally get that one final 59 minute shot uh, correct. And I think in the theaters, it was actually um, in 3D as well, obviously at that <laughs> on a Delta flight that I didn't catch that part of it. Um, but uh, man, yeah, this is this was a rough watch on a plane. <laughs> and the the interesting thing that I wanted to, to bring up was um, <laughs> the guy next to me was watching John Wick chapter three on his uh, screen. And this movie, Long Day's Journey Into Night, is very quiet. There's not much going on in it um, in terms of, uh, you know, like auditorially, I guess. It's a lot of, you know, people, uh, the camera like following this guy who's on a search for this woman, basically. And it's a lot of like tracking shots and really, really long slow shots with like some quiet music playing in the background and stuff like that. And <laughs> the audio from the guy next to me was bleeding over into my audio of this movie. So I had this bizarre mixture of this quiet, like Chinese film, uh, you know, punctuated by gunshots and John wick, like blasting through glass and you know fight scenes going on. It was, um, yeah, it was not an ideal way to watch this movie. But if you want to check out the movie for yourself, and hopefully you can do it in under uh, better circumstances than I did, it's called Long Day's Journey Tonight. I think it's available on on uh, Amazon for rent right now, um, so you can check that out there. Wait, wait, uh, wait a second, you said the guy next to you's audio was blending into yours. Was that just because he had his loud? No, no, no. It was like uh, some sort of. Uh, malfunction in the oh. Delta system because I had my uh, headphones plugged into the armchair and he had his plugged into his armchair and I shouldn't have been able to hear any of that <laughs> but it was like all subtly linked and my wife was sitting on the other side of me and she could hear the John Wick stuff on her screen as well like very faintly but like there's I don't know Delta if you work for Delta and you're listening to this Maybe look into it. There might be something wrong there. <laughs> I, I want to say it is a real shame that you saw a long day's journey into the night on the plane, Ben. But I haven't seen it yet. Um, I've been really wanting to see it, actually. But I did see Began's first movie, Kylie Blues, which is very similar. There are a lot of long takes um, in the film. And it's very languid and dreamlike. And it does I think it follows a similar thing. It's it follows a, a man looking after looking for his nephew and journeying through China to try to find him. And it ends up being a journey through like real life as well as his own memories and everything. And that sort of surreal blend um is really interesting. So uh, I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just do not watch it on a plane under any circumstances at all. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, is it Kylie Blues? Is that how you say it? Yes, Kylie yeah, Blues. And that's on Criterion Channel, actually. That's what I was going to say. I think I saw it there, but I have not had a chance to check that one out yet. Would you recommend that one, HC? I would, yeah. Okay. 
Um, it's it's very good and it's really beautifully shot. Cool. Yeah, I will add that to my queue. Uh, something that everybody should have on your um, your uh, radars is Parasite, which is a movie I've talked about before, but this is the, the latest film from Bong Joon-ho, and I managed to see it again. I took my wife to see it, and uh, this is my favorite movie of the year, hands down. It is not only my favorite movie of the year, it might be my one of my favorite movies of the decade. It is like... Seeing it a second time just crystallized everything I thought the first time. You know, a lot of times when you see something super early and not a lot of people have seen it yet and you come out of it like really hyped on it, I'm, I'm, I, I find myself going like, am I overhyping this? Is there a chance that like, uh, you know, a lot of times in film festival environments and stuff like that, we, we just sort of get caught up in it. And that's not to say it like uh, dulls our judgment or, or changes it drastically but sometimes there's like an energy in the room that um doesn't necessarily translate on a second watch and i was really hoping that parasite would hold up as the you know brilliant movie that i think it is and it it just made me love it even more so uh this movie is incredible it comes out in october so uh, definitely check that out if you can it's it's been um shortlisted as uh south korea's entry into the oscars this year so hopefully uh, th there's some talk that it might actually get nominated for best picture and i i think that would be incredible um even though it probably won't win just because i can't imagine the oscar voting body uh, voting a, a south korean movie you know with subtitles um, for best picture, it just seems like too much of a of a uh, something for them to overcome. But just to see it get recognized in that way would be incredible. And I think this is God. This movie is so freaking good. I can't wait for you guys to see it so we can talk about it more in depth. So uh, that's Parasite. Please put it on your radar. And then uh, I started watching Mindhunter. Um, everybody on this podcast seems to be watching it or have seen some of it and and talking about it in very high regard. Um, so I'm only a few episodes in, I think like five episodes into the first season. And I just wanted to add my voice to that chorus saying that it's very, very good. It's super well made. I love the production design. I love the um, the just the, the visual aesthetic of the show. Uh, the performances, especially from like the serial killer guys are um, very unsettling and, and creepy. Uh, I'm not fully sold on Jonathan Groff yet, but I'm curious to see sort of how his character evolves over the course of the show. Um, Holt McCallany is, is fantastic. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm enjoying Mindhunter so far. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to that. Very cool. Okay, let's move on to HT. What have you been watching this week? I've been seeing a bunch of movies for the New York Film Festival, which starts officially this Friday. And the most recent one I watched, I can confidently say, is one of my favorite movies of the year. And that's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I've been really anticipating this movie ever since it premiered at Cannes and was getting a lot of buzz. Um, it was nominated for the Palme d'Or, but didn't win it. It's Parasite, that. No, no. Was it? Yeah. It's Parasite, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but this is a film directed by Celine Sciamma, uh, and it tells the story of a, a painter who goes to um, paint a portrait of a young countess who is set to be married, and uh, they develop this mutual attraction, which... Uh, Go, which becomes transforms into a full-fledged affair, and this is uh, such a beautiful, ravishing movie. It's definitely a slow burn, um, but it's the kind of burn that sears into your memory, uh, and I absolutely loved it. I think I 
I know that there have been plenty of movies made about sort of these illicit um, LGBT affairs, but I feel like Portrait of a Lady on Fire comes from this very sincere place um, that makes you really moved and touched by this romance. And um, actresses Adele Hanel and Noemi Merlin are um, excellent. They are just so... Uh, magnetic to watch on screen and um, the, w- the way I would describe this <laughs> this beautiful film and I know a lot of people on this podcast aren't a fan of period pieces this might not be the film for you because it is very slow but I would still recommend it wholly because it's just such uh, a film that's both intimate and yet feels incredibly grand and sweeping in the ways that it feels like it condenses decades centuries of love poetry into this one two-hour film and it really is just such a beautiful film to watch um highly recommend it that's portrait of a lady on fire uh and if you guys are in new york it will be showing at the new york film festival another film i I, I gotta say i just love the words you use to describe films like i would never use ravishing as a word but like to describe a film Um, that's just so great back from the subway i was like what's the best word to think of it and so i I did brainstorm ravishing for for quite a bit but yes let's go thank you (laughs) what else are you watching uh, another film I watched and I really enjoyed at New York, New York Film Festival is a film called Baccarat. It's a Brazilian weird Western film directed by Kleber Mendonca Filho. And I'm very sorry for egregiously mispronouncing that name. Uh, and it tells a story of this remote village that um, is very close-knit and may be entirely hallucinated hallucinating the entire time because they uh, kind of subsist on on this strange local drug. Um, but as the film wears on and it kind of has this sort of magical realism tint to it, it becomes clear that this town has been targeted by this small group of Americans who are bent on hunting and massacring this entire village for fun. Uh, and it's a mishmash of genres in a really weird and fascinating way. It's both magical realism, Western, a little bit of noirish social commentary. The social commentary, I think, is the part where it gets a little bit clunky because it is very pulpy and over the top. But I really enjoy this movie, and it's so weird and strange. And the first half of the film is definitely a little slower before it finally explodes and becomes uh, this entirely different film than what you expect it to be at the beginning. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I this is another film I also recommend, Baccarat. Uh, and um, an, another film, the last film I saw at the New York Film Festival recently is Saturday Fiction. It is a Chinese film directed by Liu Ye uh, and starring Gong Li. And it's about an... Uh, famous stage actress in 1941 China who goes to Shanghai to reunite with an um, ex-lover who is a director of theater plays to start in his latest play, which is an autobiographical play about them. And um, I was really into the first 15 minutes of this film in which it seemed like it, the reality and the the stage play in which they're starring in are starting to bleed together. And I was like, okay, I'm into this. This is a cool, um, a black and white movie uh, about 
two people and a doomed romance that's all about pining uh, with the political undercurrent. I love the Cold War. Uh, and then it started to get very cryptic and enigmatic to the point of being impenetrable that it almost became exhausting to watch by the end of the film, even when it's kind of, it turns into uh, a spy thriller and basically has a heel turn and becomes this huge shootout for the past like 30 minutes. Um, and um, while I was really mesmerized and intrigued in the first, like at the beginning, I feel like it got a little bit too wrapped up in its own mystery and all the narrative threads that it started to t get tangled within those threads. And so that's Saturday Fiction, directed by Lu Ye. Um, and the last film I saw, uh, it's not a New York Film Festival movie, but I saw it in advance. Um, and the social media embargo has broken, so I can talk about it a little bit. And that is Gemini Man. <laughs> and I came into this with pretty low expectations. This is the Ang Lee-directed action sci-fi thriller starring Will Smith as a, an older assassin who finds himself targeted by a younger clone of himself. And this features um, digital technology that basically recreates a young Will Smith. Ang Lee was very um, persistent in reminding people that this is not de-aging. They actually created a fully CGI character um, that is the young Will Smith. And um, it's pretty fun. Uh, I can't in conscience say that it's a good film, but it is a really entertaining film. And I will say that the technology that they use uh, with the digital recreation and the high frame rate um, actually amplifies the action sequences to the point that I was my jaw dropped in a couple moments. I was really impressed by especially the action, the action sequences and the colors that they were able to bring out and the sort of more almost visceral qualities that they brought out with them. Uh, they, especially in like the the hand-to-hand -hand combat, they really amplified the speed and the the um, sort of auditory experience of that so much that it felt, it felt very just... Um, the punches, every punch felt very powerful. It packed a lot more power in each punch. And it was really, really fun to watch. Um, but on a story level, I would say it feels like the 12-year-old story that's been kind of knocking about Hollywood. Um, or maybe it's two decades now, actually. It's been going around for two decades uh, in Hollywood and has been they've been trying to make it with various uh, stars and directors. At one point, it was uh, Clint Eastwood. It was, it was a Tony Scott film at some point, too. And um, it definitely feels like a sort of creaky early 2000s, mid, uh, late 90s action film at that. Um, so you say is... that, but that sounds like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. It, it is. It is both an insult and a compliment because it feels <laughs> old-fashioned, but there are points where it just kind of feels a little bit too, yeah, just creaky and predictable. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, I will say if you see this in theaters, see it in um, uh, the highest frame rate that's possible. Um, but if you don't have an interest in seeing a movie from 2005, then probably wait for it on, uh, on home video release. How do we even find out what theaters are playing in a high frame rate? Like, are they going to advertise again? Like, is this going to become 3D where, like, in the title of the listing, it's going to be, like, high frame rate edition? 
I wonder, because there are only a select amount of theaters across the country that are able to, that have the technology that can play this high frame rate. So um, that would be a good question that I can't answer. I, I think that as they go into the marketing, maybe they'll try to, uh, to um, advertise that more. AC, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think they shot this in, what was it, 120 frames per second or something yes, like that? Yes, it was and 120 then, frames per second. Yeah, and then some theaters are going to be showing it in 60 frames per second, like the ones that aren't equipped, because I think there are only a few theaters in the country that are actually equipped to show it in the the exact way that it was shot. But I think maybe for like general AMCs or something, I, I thought I heard that they were going to be playing it in 60 frames per second so that may be like as close as people can get you know if you're not in like a major uh theater city or something like that so yes and i, I, I actually say, had seen oh go ahead Peter. i was gonna say i wonder like when avatar 2 comes out like if that's going to be a more widely available thing like not that we know what frame rate do we even know what frame rate avatar 2 is mm. going to be in I don't remember. I don't yeah. know yet. But we assume it's some some form of high frame rate. So I assume that this is going to be something that like, you know, gets pushed out. To, kind of like how, you know, the Star Wars prequels kind of pushed the whole digital cinema thing. Like, I feel like this is going to push in, in how Avatar pushed 3D. I feel like Avatar 2 is going to push the frame rate thing out further mm-hmm. to the masses. What were you going to say, HD? Uh, I will say that um, the, I was able – I went to a junket uh, early – like maybe last month in which they showed us some clips in 60 frames per second. They didn't have the full 120 frames per second yet. And it still looked really impressive. So I think 60 frames per second will still do justice to this movie and at least do justice to the scene in which the sequence in which um, Will Smith throws a motorcycle at Will Smith, which was pretty cool. (laughs) High frame rate or not. (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's move on to what we've been eating. When I was at AMC Theaters, uh, it was my last day, not being on my di- diet. I'm now back on my diet. And I got to try uh, their seasonal popcorn flavor, which is caramel apple popcorn, which is actually kind of a mix. Like it's the the caramel popcorn mixed with a popcorn that's like a red color, which is apple flavored. And I feel like for the first two bites, I really love this. But then as I was watching Rambo and eating more and more bites, I, I had to put it down. It was like too much for me. Brad, I know you also tried this caramel apple popcorn at AMC. What did you think? Yeah, I'm in the same boat, actually, uh, because I really liked the flavor of the the red pieces, which brought the, the apple flavor to the mixture. But I, I feel like the problem with these, these uh, flavored popcorns that AMC has is you don't really want too much of it it works in small doses so like i had uh, maybe half of like a a, a, the the small bucket container that they they give you and then after that i was like okay i'm I'm good it's it's almost it's basically too sweet to have uh too much of it seems like yeah you know what they should do is they should create a uh, flavored popcorn uh what do you call a flight of flavored popcorns so you have like these little mini popcorn buckets like in a like a three pack and you get to like enjoy them and mix and match as you, you watch the movie oh you should talk to amc's marketing department about yeah. that they sometimes listen to this podcast so maybe amc steal that idea for me uh brad what else have you been eating oh you know the usual nonsense um taco bell has a new uh chalupa called the toasted cheddar chalupa uh, and I'm just a general cheese fan, so I want to try it out. Uh, the, the Chalupa, um, they take their shell, and it's, like, coated with this 
crispy toasted cheddar, basically, which makes the shell a little bit crunchier than your normal chalupa. Uh, and it's, you know, th that's really what makes it different, and it adds a, a nice crunch to it, and uh, the cheese flavor is good. I was expecting it to taste a little bit more like the Doritos Locos taco, but it's uh, the cheddar flavor is is much more distinct than the, the nacho cheese uh, flavor for the Doritos Locos tacos. Uh, and then... I happened to stumble upon Twix chocolate milk, and uh, it's wait, bad. Wait, what is that even? What is that supposed to taste like? Bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's. I mean, so it Twix is a it's it's a chocolate bar that has a cookie piece inside of it, and also caramel. And the the taste that they seem to have gone with for this Twix milk is overwhelmingly caramel, uh, like just like sickeningly so. Like I took a small sip of it. And it was just way too much caramel flavor, uh, and combined with the general just thickness of chocolate milk, uh, it was it was just not a good flavor. And Twix is my favorite candy bar, uh, and so I was hoping this might be something that was like you know maybe like just a a less a more liquidy milkshake essentially, um, because I've had a Twix milkshake before and it's very good. This was not. Uh, th this was was very bad. I do not recommend it in the least. <laughs> Okay, so stay away from Twix chocolate milk. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. Hey. Hey, Peter. <laughs> uh yes ben no i i actually was frantically googling to see if i could find a sample from the gargantuan book of insult defense and affrontery and i could not so. uh hey, hey hey peter <laughs> <laughs> yes brad I, I i did the same thing and, and i i came up short but i did find three, <laughs> th three insults that i can sling your guys's way for yes. for, yes. for a little bit Sing of fun it. on this day but they have to be bad insults I mean, I, I I don't think that these are very good. So, <laughs> okay. Bring uh, it. Hey, 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 Peter, you, you couldn't pour water out of a boot if the instructions were on the heel. Uh. I, I said you couldn't pour water out of a boot if the instructions were on the heel, because the heel is the bottom of the shoe, and you have to turn it over. Brad, tell me this: like when you read the joke a second time do you get as much pleasure out of it as i expect jacob does oh if anything it's more pleasure like i'm feeling the power that jacob feels now <laughs> hey hey ht what you have no trouble making ends meet because your foot is always in your mouth because uh, uh, uh. you're always saying inappropriate things uh. hey hey ben yes you're down to earth but not quite far down enough. Oh, he's saying oh, you wow, should be dead. That, I think that is what that is saying. Am I supposed to be six Suddenly feet under in this? Wow. It's funny because it's threatening. <laughs> and Jacob's our HR department. What are we going to do? <laughs> then that comes from Dr. Cornelius P. Huffington's book of ins ins insults, gags, quips, and make benefit glorious learnings of Kazakhstan. Oh, now we know what to get Jacob for Christmas. Yes. <laughs> no, no one. Don't do it. <laughs> At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with 
purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.